Are you thankful for our CCV music team across all our campuses? Like I am, that, that last song came from a, an EP we just released uh, from CCV music. It's all Christmas music. And man, I was listening to it on the way in. It has a great vibe to it. I hope you'll join in as we just have something to really get us in tune with why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. But this weekend, we're in week two of a series called Contrast. And the question we're really answering all of us is, Do you want to conform to or contrast the culture around you? And I pray your answer is you want to contrast it because you can't live the life God wants for you just blending in and conforming with what you see around you. And last week we talked about the first contrast we need to start living as Christians, especially going into 2024. We said that as the world gets more divided, the church must stand. Do you remember the word? United. This will be our word for the year, I told you, going into 2024, and I really believe we have to stay united because the church is only as strong as it is united. But today, I want to talk to you about the second contrast I believe we have to live as Christians in our world today, and to set up the topic, I want to just ask you a question, and I want every person on every campus to answer, and that is, If you had to describe God in the shortest possible sentence, what words would you use? Now, I'm going to take you back to your elementary school English class, which is kind of funny for me to say because English was probably my worst topic in school. But I did learn that you can have a complete sentence with only two words. Did you know that? It's like humorous me to even teach you grammar because grammar is not my song, strong suit. But you can have a two-word complete sentence. You just need a subject and a verb. You remember this? It's like the shortest verse in all of Scripture. John chapter 11, shortest verse in all of Scripture says what? Jesus wept. Now, the subject of that sentence is what? Not a trick question. <laughs> You're like, oh. It's Jesus. And the verb is what? Wept. Jesus wept, but Jesus weeping is not the ultimate summary of who God is. Um, That might be a summary of the Arizona Cardinals season this year. I don't know, Jesus weeping, Jesus weeping for his favorite team. I don't know. But if we wanted to describe God, let's think about it. If we had two words, shortest sentence possible, we already know God's the subject. Now all we have to do is we have to pick one verb That is the primary verb that describes God's action towards us and this world. What would you say if you only had to pick one verb to describe God? I've been doing this uh, for a while, and I've asked this question to many small groups of people. And I'll tell you, the most common response is love. And by the way, I think that's an awesome response because the foundation of all God does is his love. But I'm going to suggest today that there's actually a different verb, which is the verb we would use to primarily describe the action of God. Now, his love motivates this verb, but I want to suggest this verb is the verb that describes God, and I'll show it to you based on the most famous verse in all of Scripture. You know this. Most of you could recite this. John 3.16, for God, that's the subject, so love, that's the motive, the world, 
that's you and me, that he what? Say it out loud. He gave. He gave. God's the subject. Love is the motive. We're the object. But the primary verb that describes who God is and what he does is God gave. He gave. Which means if you are going to summarize in one sentence who God is, the shortest sentence possible, it may be this, God gives. It's God's lavish generosity to us. In fact, did you know we don't even exist today without God's generosity towards us? We wouldn't even be here. What he gave us through Jesus, the gift of our life that every breath he controls. In fact, the word grace in scripture, you know what the word grace means? Grace means unmerited favor or a free gift. God gives, it is who he is, and he is lavishly generous. Now, our jobs as Christians in this world is to imitate who God is. Ephesians chapter five, verse one, says this so clearly. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children. So we know our job in a godless world is to imitate God, not this world. We're to stand in contrast. Now, if God gives, that's the primary verb of who he is, we have this to consider. And I I want this to sink into your heart today. You are never more like God than when our lives are focused on giving. We are never more like God than when our lives are focused on giving. And the problem, which is why we have to talk about it in this contrast series, here's our problem. We live in a world that is focused on accumulating. Do you feel it? Do you feel it in your own life? We live in a world that's dominated by consuming and accumulating. And so the question we all have to answer is this. Will you conform and center your life on accumulating, which is what you see around you, or will you contrast and center your life on giving? This will be a battle that you face for the rest of your life. It's a battle between giving and greed. And every time I preach on this topic, this is the most personal topic that I ever preach on because I just need you to know there was a time in my life that giving was the furthest thing from what would describe me. I was dominated by greed. And I wanna just give you a little peer into my heart of why I think that was the case. When I grew up, one of my most vivid childhood memories is watching my two parents sit around a kitchen table and fight about money. They had a set of bills in front of them. They were arguing, and I just watched this as a young child. And as a young child, some of our early experiences really shape us. And so I grew up, very honestly, with a fear around money, and especially giving any of it away because I thought my parents' issue was they just didn't have enough. My dad was a teacher. My mom stayed home with four of us kids. So you can just picture one teacher's salary, four kids. 
We didn't have a lot, and I just thought, my parents don't have enough. If they had more, they'd be happier. And so I made a decision watching this as a young child, kind of through my childhood. I watched money drive a wedge in my parents' marriage. It really did. And as a teenager, I wanted something different. And so I made a promise as a teenager that when I got married, I would never let money be an issue in my marriage. And my answer is I just had to make more than my parents made. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Anybody else think God has a sense of humor? I I think God has a deep sense of humor. Oftentimes what God does is he'll give us something that we think we need besides him to show us that it never satisfies. You, You ever thought to yourself, Man, if we just had a bigger house, things would be better. If we just got the raise, if we made more money, if we could take nicer vacations, if the kids had more, we'd finally solve a lot of the issues that we feel in our life today. Jamie and I got married straight out of Bible college. And right out of Bible college, we got married, but I didn't go straight into the ministry. In fact, both Jamie and I went to work at a company called Intel, largest semiconductor manufacturer at the time in in the world. And so we both got these incredible jobs. And together, we were making twice as much as my parents had ever made. And we got stock thrown in with that. We got bonuses thrown in with that. So it was even more than double what my parents had ever made. And when this happened, right when we got married, I thought this, we did it. We made it. We will be happy. So we went on a consuming binge. We started, we literally, our life was dominated by just accumulating because that's what I thought my parents were missing. So we consumed and spent and spent and consumed and consumed and consumed. Guys, it was embarrassing. But I thought, we're fine. We're making so much. And then it started happening. We started arguing about money the exact same way I'd watch my parents argue. And I will never forget waking up a morning after Jamie and I had gotten a huge fight and it broke my heart because I thought to myself, I'm repeating the same pattern I promised I would never repeat. And that day I was so broken that I made a radical decision that Jamie and I were gonna search the scriptures for everything God said about finances and stewardship because we'd never really done it. I'd gone to Bible college, we were getting our MBAs, and I couldn't even tell you what this book said about it. I couldn't. And that's a sad reality of most Christians today, and I I stood in that spot. And so for a year, we searched everything God had to say because I'm like, we tried everything else. I'd searched everything God had to say about money and stewardship. And I will tell you this, and Jamie and I would tell you the same thing, Nothing we have done or started applying to our lives has transformed our lives more than this. What we learned and started applying. We would say it revolutionized our marriage. We would say there's nothing in our life that has given us more satisfaction and joy and just meaning than what we learned on this topic. And you might say, well, like, what was the massive change you made? Did you put Jamie on strict spending limits? Did you take away her credit card? That's exactly what I did. In Jesus' name. It's what you need to do too. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for what we learned today. 
No, that's not at all what I did. I want to summarize in one sentence the biggest change Jamie and I have ever made in our lives that has transformed our lives. And you have to feel this because this is, this is our life story. We changed our life's focus from consuming to giving. We saw it all throughout scripture. It's who God is and it's who he calls us as followers of Jesus to be. We discovered that Jesus' words in Acts 20 were absolutely true. Jesus said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed here is the Greek word for to be happy. It's a, it's a happiness and a joy that surpasses anything this world or a thing or money could give you. It is more blessed for you to live a life where you're focused on giving than on accumulating or receiving. And yet this world, listen, is hell-bent on proving Jesus wrong. Everything around you screams that Jesus was wrong. Did you know that every single marketing ad, almost every marketing ad, almost every single advertisement is designed to get you to disbelieve Jesus and believe this world that accumulating will make you happy? Can I just show you a few ads? Coca-Cola ran this, this campaign for years. It says happiness doesn't come from giving or God, it comes from a Coke. Now that sounds funny, but the, the campaign was hashtag open happiness. In other words, you can find happiness by opening a bottle of something. And some of you know what I mean because that's where you find a lot of your happiness today to take away some of the pain is in a bottle. This ad is from Bed Bath & Beyond. It says, home happier. And the underlying message from the marketers behind this ad is that you find happiness when you get a nicer home and your home is nicer. You don't find happiness from giving. You find happiness from accumulating more to make your house nicer. Now, some of the ads are not even overt. Some of them are just plain in your face. Watch this older Lexus ad. Whoever said money can't buy happiness isn't spending right. Is that funny? I mean, that's just in your face. You can spend your way into happiness. You just have to spend it the right way like a luxury, like a luxury car. Now, you might think well, that's old. Lexus is still playing the same old thing today. Here's one of their newer ads. Gratification without delay. Gratification is another word to say you can be happy. Happiness without delay, just buy something. The world is screaming at you constantly with this one message. You will be happy when you consume or accumulate something else. And God, in his great wisdom and nature, because he created you, he knows you, says you have to reorient your life around generosity and giving if you ever wanna find true happiness. And by the way, this is a message you won't find hardly anywhere except in the church and from the word of God. And we wonder why our world is hurting so bad today. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 12. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed that you see in this world. The, the, the idea that just all this kind of accumulating stuff, you better watch out for that. Why? Because your life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. 
the more you have does not make you more happy. Your life gets happy the more you begin to live a generous life. It's so radical. The model God gave us is this. The motive of God is love, but the primary verb is to give, which means you'll never start living until you learn to start giving. And what I want to do today is, as we just try to live in contrast to this world around us, is I want to open one passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul talks to us about giving and generosity, and he gives us three contrasts. Listen, listen to these contrasts, starting in verse 6. Paul says this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, will you say these bold words out loud with me when I read this verse? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's what God does. Paul gives us three contrasts, and I want to turn them into three challenges for how we can live a life of generosity in a world driven by consuming. Here's challenge number one. Most people give sparingly. In contrast, I will give generously. Here's what Paul says. He says, you can sow sparingly and you're going to reap sparingly, or you can sow generously and you'll reap generously. This is powerful because what Paul's doing is he's using a farming analogy, which have been so um, common during his age. He talks about the law of sowing and reaping. This law of sowing and reaping. And here's what every farmer knows. If you plant one apple seed, do you expect to just get one apple back? No. When you plant a seed, it grows a harvest, a tree, with multiple apples coming back. And God says there's a law of sowing and reaping with generosity. The more you sow generously, the more you can reap generously. Now, many pastors or teachers have taken this verse and have used it to kind of preach what's called a health and wealth gospel. You ever heard that before? The health and wealth gospel assumes this. You give to get. You will never hear that taught at CCV. I don't believe that. I won't teach you that. And here's why it's not true. God doesn't want to teach you to be a getter. Who is God? God's a giver. The give and get mentality says if I give, I get more, which means what? You're just teaching, you're, you're just learning to be a getter. No, God wants you to learn to be a giver, not a getter. Now that said, if you honestly read through scripture, and Jesus talked more about generosity in the New Testament than almost any other topic he talked about, that's a fact, but if you read through the words of Jesus and through scripture, it is almost impossible to not walk away with an understanding biblically that when we give, we are blessed. Now the blessing may not always be financial, 
But you better believe that God has the power to take care of every single one of your needs and then some and to give you a happiness and joy that this world has no idea about. But there is a blessing that comes from giving. Let me just read you the words of Jesus. This is Jesus. He's talking about giving. He says this in Luke chapter 6. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured to you. He's using another farming example. When they farmed, they would have baskets that they would fill with the crops. And Jesus says, when you give, take a, take a basket, fill it up, press it down as far as you can, and let, let it overflow. That's the kind of life you can live when you learn to give. An overflowing, abundant kind of life. How can we understand the blessings that maybe come from us living a generous life? The best way I could describe this is, is you, you have to understand God as a good father. He's a good father. He's described as our father in scripture. Now, I know not all of you grew up with a good father. Some of you, it was horrific. So you got to fight hard to understand God is a perfect father. I'm not a perfect father. I think I'm a good father to my three girls One of the things we've tried to teach our girls in our family culture and values is we say it this way, Wolders are generous. It is who we are. It's not what we do. We are a generous family. And we've tried to teach our kids to become givers. And how do your kids learn to be givers? They watch you. And we try to say, we are going to give, we're going to be generous as a family. Now, when our kids are stingy and selfish and keep everything to themselves and never want to share with anyone around them, including God or the church or ever give, do we want to bless them? The answer is no. Now, I want to bless them in a different kind of way, but I'm just saying, when, when we know we want to be givers, when our kids are, are giving and selfish, and you don't have to teach kids to be selfish, by the way. They're born with it. When they're selfish, man, we, like, there's nothing inside of me as a dad that wants to bless them. On the flip side, when I see my kids be generous, you wouldn't believe what happens to my heart as a dad. I'm just going to give you a real life example. When one of our daughters, I won't say her name and keep it anonymous, one of our daughters was 15 years old. She had been saving her money that she was kind of earning and doing chores, and she really wanted to buy something, and I knew it. In our church, that year, we were celebrating our 40th anniversary as a church, and our church decided to try to really, really scholarship so many kids to go to camp, and we opened up the ability for people to give to a camp fund, and she did this secretly without us knowing at all. She secretly took all that money she'd been saving, and I still get emotional talking about it today, and she gave it, she gave it. And she didn't want us to know, but I'm the pastor of this church, and I found out. When I found out, what she did, that little girl could have asked me for anything, and she would have had it. Now, time's passed, little girl. Okay, that's not the same deal now, all right? (laughs) But it kind of is. 
Because when I see my kids give generously, my dad heart. Now, when Jamie and I found out what she did, did we bless that girl? We blessed her socks off. We blessed her socks off. Do you understand the difference? Do you see, we have a God up in heaven that is watching what you do with everything you've been given. Remember, everything we have came from God, and he's watching. Do we keep it all for ourselves? Are we focused on accumulating, or do we want to be a kind of people that give? And it comes down to our motive. My daughter's motive was not for us to bless her. Her motive was just to give, but when we found out as her father, I absolutely wanted to bless her. Now, we're coming to the end of 2023, and I think it's a very opportune time for you to ask yourself an honest question, because remember, you're only as good as you are honest. This year, have you been sowing sparingly or generously? Now, you might say, well, how would I know? Because all of us think we're generous, don't we? All the studies say that when you ask people, are you generous, every single one of us wants to say yes. How would you know? Biblically, you measure your generosity based on a percentage of your income, not an amount. Now, we like to think about amounts we give. Like, that was a pretty generous amount. God does not measure generosity in amounts. He does not. He measures in percentages. Case in point, One day Jesus was at the temple watching people give gifts in the temple. And him and his disciples are watching, and he's going to use it to teach his disciples something. They're watching people give big gifts, and Jesus points out a widow that drops in two mites or two pennies. And Jesus says, she gave more than everybody. The disciples are like, Jesus, you need to go back to math class. She put in two pennies. All these other people are putting like hundreds of thousands of dollars in. Jesus says, you're wrong because she gave a larger percentage of her income than any of them. So when we measure our generosity, we have to measure based on a percentage, not an amount. And I'm just gonna ask you an honest question. Do you know what percentage of your income you've given to charity this year? And if the answer is no, I would challenge you. If you don't know, I would challenge you. You should know and you should go look. I won't ask you to do anything. I'll never ask you as a church to do something that I won't do as as a leader. And Jamie and I, no. We, we, We choose, we've decided what percentage of our income that goes to the local church and other, you know, charities we support. We know. Which leads to the second contrast Paul tells us in verse seven. He says this. Each of you should give what you have, say it out loud, decided to give. What you've decided to give. The word decided here in the Greek means to reach a decision beforehand to pre-decide. We don't leave our generosity up to chance. We pre-decide in advance what percentage of our income we want to be given away versus used for just us, which means the second contrast we have to do is this. Most people give spontaneously. In contrast, I will give strategically, which strategic giving is deciding in advance. Now, here's how most of us give. We give off emotion. We give spontaneously or randomly when something triggers our heart or emotion. We're walking down the street. We see a homeless person. We give to them. We're at a fundraiser. Our heart is drawn towards something. We give emotionally, spontaneously. Now listen, spontaneous giving is not bad. It's, it's great. We should give. There, there are very appropriate times to give spontaneously. But biblically, 
We want to give strategically, deciding in advance, not just always relying on emotion. For example, when you come to church, like some of you come to church and you base your giving based on how you feel during the service. You get to the end of the service and you're like, whoa, that was a really good service. The music was so good and I, I kind of like the message. We should give some back to God. God, here's a few bucks for you. Like nervous silence. You're like, that's exactly what I do sometimes, man. <laughs> when you give based on the service you got that day, what's that called? That's called tipping. You're tipping God. I just want to say something boldly to you. God's not your server. He's your Lord and Savior. And God doesn't need a tip. He demands your best. Your first and your best. Which means biblically God wants our giving to be a percentage and to be progressive. Now, throughout scripture, and you can study this for yourself, the minimum percentage that we're asked to give throughout scripture is called just a tithe. God made it so easy for us that aren't good at math. The tithe is the Hebrew word masar, which just means a tenth or 10%. And again, some of us are like, are you kidding me? 10% of my income? Again, it's God. He's trying to teach us how to be a giver. Now, people push back and they're like, well, that's an Old Testament concept, and I'm a New Testament Christian. You ever heard this? And if you want to push that way, I'm okay as long as you want to argue for giving above and beyond 10%. Because if, if you believe it's an Old Testament concept, in the New Testament, did Jesus raise or lower the standard of the law? Oh. Wait a second. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to interpret it correctly, to fulfill it. So you've heard it said, he says, talking about the law, you've heard it said, don't murder I say don't even be angry with your brother or sister. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. That's the law. I say don't even look lustfully at another woman. So what would Jesus say about the tithe? Would he be like, oh, forget the 10%. Just go ahead and do like half a percent now. No, Jesus is always raising the bar for us to, because we, we raise the bar out of love for everything God's given us. So the starting point is the tithe. It really, really is, I'm telling you. And for those of you that push back on that, maybe it's just like, I would just ask you, if Jesus came to you today and said, you should tithe, would you do it? And I pray your answer is yes, because it's Jesus. And if your answer is yes, you're kind of in trouble, because he did say it. Twice in the New Testament, people gloss over these verses, once in Luke, once in Matthew 23, 23. Let me read you Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your arb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Jesus says, don't tithe and then forget about everybody else. Don't tithe and act like you've done something awesome and then you get to do whatever you want in your life. Like forget justice and mercy and faith. And watch what Jesus says. You should tithe. That's red letters from Jesus. I don't know how much more clear that gets. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. In other words, don't tithe and act like you've Done the end-all, be-all. No, progressive giving means we start with the tithe, but over time, we want to grow in our generosity beyond the tithe, just like we grow in every other spiritual aspect of our life. And that feels uncomfortable to some of us. But again, Jamie and I, the first time we ever started tithing, if some of you are like pucker when you think about tithing, that was me. 
We, I looked honestly after Jamie and I got done that year studying scripture. I looked at our budget. We were not tithing. We weren't. We were giving a little bit, but we were tipping, not tithing. And I plugged in 10% and I was like, I don't have no idea how this works, God. And it's the one place in scripture God says, test me. And so we, we tested God and God was faithful because God is always faithful when we're obedient. God's faithfulness comes from our obedience and God can do more with 90% than we can do with 100% on our own. But then Jamie and I made this decision. We said, God, this belongs to you, but the other 90% belongs to you too. And over time, we want to start giving above and beyond the tithe. So we started at 10%. We said, God, every year we want to try to increase our giving. So the next year, Jamie and I both got large raises. And until we went from 10 to 12.3%. Then our giving went to 14%. Then our giving went to 15.8%. Listen, we've been doing this progressive giving thing for 20 years now. I will never ask you to do something we won't do. And I can just tell you unequivocally, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him. Now, we, some of us were like, yeah, but have you ever even tried? Have you tried to be radically generous and grow in your generosity? Which means the third contrast Paul tells us about, if it's hard for you and you're just like, it just feels so hard to even talk about this. Why are we even talking about this in church? Paul says this in verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what Paul's saying. Most people give reluctantly. In contrast, I will, I have to learn to give cheerfully. Can I tell you about the most difficult time Jamie and I have ever had giving cheerfully. We, we begin to give the tithe, and we're like, God, that's yours, and we understand that. But as we studied scripture, Jamie and I got really passionate about paying off debt, because debt's slavery when you, when you read scripture, and some of you know that because you're in a lot of debt. And Jamie and I wanted to pay off all of our debt, including our house. We got really passionate about becoming 100% debt-free. So at our work, uh, both of us started getting these big promotions. Um, really, I got promoted up, Jamie got promoted up, and with those promotions started coming more stock, more bonuses, stock options, stock grants. So we took all that stock, we took all of our bonuses, and we decided to put it aside in an account, and we were gonna save that up, and we had calculated within five to seven years we'd be able to pay off our house if, if everything went well with the market, debt-free. We are so excited. Right after that, the church we were going to, they, they announced a building campaign. Like, we're going to build this building, and they just started asking us to pray about what we wanted to give. And Jamie and I were really excited because we're like, this is going to be a great thing for the church. Church is growing, reaching more people. And one morning, I was praying with God about what we should give. And I felt like God said, hey, Ashley, you know all that money you set aside over here? I have no idea what you're talking about. I started arguing with God. I started throwing scripture back in God's face. I was like, you said get out of debt. Don't you dare touch that. That's mine. Why do we argue with God? It took us a little while, but I got to the place where I was like, God, you're not asking me to give reluctantly or under compulsion. God never guilted us. You know, sometimes we as parents... We get mad at our kids, like they won't share or give, and we look at, at them playing with another kid, and we're like, just give it! Just give it! God doesn't do that. 
And God didn't do that with us. He just kept whispering in our ear, hey, do you trust me? I know, I know you want to become debt-free, but do you trust me that my timing might just be better than your timing? And we were like, well, that's... We finally got to a place where we just said, God, we cheerfully give that to your kingdom because we want to build your kingdom, not ours. And we gave it. And by the way, three years later, I left Intel, came to work in ministry. We moved houses and we moved into a new house completely debt-free after selling our old house. That's how big our God is. But listen, God won't ask you to give reluctantly. So if around here, if you ever feel like when we talk about giving, you feel like it's a guilt thing or you don't trust me and you're like, he's just trying to get something from me. I I just tell you, and I say this, I mean it 100%. If you feel like guilty or under compulsion, I'll just invite you, don't give a dime here. And if you're new to CCV, don't feel any pressure to give. But if you've been coming around here and you're a Christian, don't, don't give here. But my challenge to you is go find a church you trust, go find a pastor you trust, and something you believe in, and you give to that church because I don't want you to miss out on the sowing and reaping and the blessing of living a generous life just because you may not trust me. It's how much I believe in this. It's how much it means to me and how I think how much it means to God. We have a God that at the core of who he is, God gives. And you are never more like God than when you model your life around giving as well. So let me just ask, is your life today more centered on accumulating or giving? And if you know you have some room to grow in the giving area, which probably a lot of us do, then begin to stretch yourself. Begin to take action. Remember, we have a contrast to live. That we're to give not sparingly, but generously. We're to give not spontaneously, but strategically. And we're to give not under compulsion or reluctantly, but with a cheerful heart. Let me issue issue a couple challenges for just different sets of people here today. You might be someone that's never tithed. Now I'm just gonna challenge you, start tithing for the very first time and you trust God and you see if he's not faithful with 90% more than you are on your own, managing it with 100%. Some of you have been tithing for a long time and it might be time for you to start stretching your generosity and growing. You'll find some of the greatest joy when you grow in your generosity, I promise you. Some of you are looking for year-end giving opportunities. It might be here, it might be somewhere else. You just go be generous because this world needs Christians that don't blend in but stand out with our giving. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for being so generous with us. For you so loved the world that you gave everything to us, including your son. And our appropriate response, God, is to have lives that model after you the kind of generosity you had. And as we give more, God, when we see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, be with those of us that are a little scared and trepid for wanting to trust you. Would you show us that you are so trustworthy? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, and don't forget to invite someone to our Christmas services coming up. Love you, CCV.